When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of the Janice Dean Podcast. I was in Louisville, Kentucky, covering one of my favorite events, the Kentucky Derby, the oldest continuously held sporting event in American history. It's the first jewel in the triple crown of racing, which means that a horse has to win all three events that take, pl- that take place in just a matter of weeks. Last year, I was there when one of the biggest long shots in racing history, Rich Strike, won the Derby at 80 to 1 odds. Eric Reed, the trainer of Rich Strike, gave me one of the first interviews after the big win on Fox and Friends. And since then, he and I have become very good friends. So good, in fact, that he is the trainer of a horse named Surf Happy, which I purchased last summer with several other friends, which we're going to talk about in the podcast. Eric's story of overcoming many challenges in his life, both on and off the racetrack, is also featured in my latest book called I Am the Storm. And his story and his family's story is about to be made into a movie for Amazon in the next year or so. There's so much to cover, so let's get to it. Here is my friend, the incredibly kind, talented, generous Eric Reed on the Janice Dean Podcast. The Kentucky Derby was where we first met, and I feel like we had our anniversary. Yeah, it was It was just, man, it was so great. How do you feel? I mean, it's been a year since you had your incredible win with Rich Strike. Um, you know, what's it like a year later? Well, it's it's been such an honor to have gone through and gotten to be part of everything that goes to winning the Derby and meeting all the, the, the press and the people along the way. And, you know, just becoming such close friends with you and Sean was it's like a dream come true to me. And I, I didn't realize how many good people were out there that you could meet and how, how, how great this story was for, you know, for the country. I mean, for horse racing, the little guys prevailed and. It gave us all just this huge sense of accomplishment, and and the pride for Richie was um, it was undeniable with everybody involved in the barn. Mm-hmm. I remember that first interview the next day, uh, and <laughs> you know it it was overwhelming. I remember you know just watching you and seeing all of a sudden these microphones up to your face, and I remember you saying you wanted to do every single interview that you could possibly do, you know, because you you could understand what it's like you know, having a paycheck come in and knowing that your story could, you know, continue someone's career. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the media needs stories. Most of the time, I don't think they get these happy, feel good stories. And I felt an obligation to anyone and everyone, no matter who they were affiliated with or anything, you know, to give them the story, to answer any questions. And I've made Richie accessible, um, you know, throughout the year, we had some visitors yesterday from out of town that just wanted to come and take a picture and see him. And I just think this uh, 
this was such an honor and I wanted to share it with anyone and everyone that wanted to be part of it. Take us back, Eric, um, you know, for folks that don't realize, you know, what a momentous moment it was to get the phone call that Rich Strike was going to be in the Kentucky Derby. I mean, it was really up until the moment, you know, nine o'clock when they had the cutoff. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we woke up early that morning and everybody knew that, you know, at nine o'clock it was over. And, you know, we, we trained him, we did everything on the normal routine and about eight o'clock he was back in the stall. And, you know, we, we all stood outside the barn waiting for Gary, who was the guy that was always giving us information um, throughout the day and the weeks leading up to the Derby that we, if we were going to get in or not. And as the hours, uh, the minutes that felt like hours ticked by. Um, I remember it was a, a little bit before quarter to nine. And I, I told the guys, I said, you know, we would have heard by now, so it's probably not going to happen. And I didn't much say that. Uh, I saw Gary walking across the parking lot. We made eye contact and he kind of dropped his head, held his arms out, shook his head. No, um, walked over, gave me a big hug. He whispered in my ear, you know, I'm so sorry. You just don't know how bad we wanted you to get in this race. And, I said, you know, it's been a privilege to be part of this. I said, you know, somebody has to be the bubble boy. And I told the guys, I said, we weren't going to get in. And then they called my security guard and she came and gave me a hug and said, they've called me off the post. So then I knew for sure it was over. Um, and I was trying to keep everybody's spirits up because, you know, I knew how bad I felt. I could only imagine how they felt. So I didn't have time for self-pity. It was just pick everybody up. And we got another race in a week. We're going to go run in it and, We'll show them that we, if we'd have gotten the Derby, maybe we would have belonged. And I think it was five minutes till nine or later. And I looked down the phone, it said Churchill Downs. So I'm like, well, they're calling to tell me I didn't get in. <laughs> and uh, I answered it. It was Barbara Borden and she's a state steward. And I'll never forget it. It chokes me up to say it and to think about it. But her words were Eric Reed on Saturday in the 12th race. Do you want to draw in to the Kentucky Derby from the also eligible with Rich Strike? And, you know, I thought it was going to call say, Eric, you didn't draw in. There was no scratches, um, whatever. So I was absolutely speechless. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't even get yes out. I had to stop and gather myself. And then I just screamed on the phone. Yes, yes, yes. And I turned around and told everybody, I said, we got in. Mm. How does that work? Tell me, you know, how a Rich Strike would even qualify for the Kentucky Derby. There's a point system that's set up with all the prep races that lead up to the Derby. And what what they've done is they've tried to give the horses that are running the best going into the Derby the op best opportunity to run. So the top four finishers would get points. Um, and they varied due to the, you know, the magnitude of the race. But the top 20 are automatically in. And then they allowed either two or three also eligibles just in case there was a defection or an injury at the last minute. And the last minute is Friday at nine o'clock, the day before the race. And, um, you know, Richie had accumulated 21 points and he was tied with another horse who had more earnings. And that's why we were number 21. And then, um, you know, there was the late defection of Mr. Lucas with a thorough road and, that allowed us to get in and had he waited till after nine o'clock, you know, we would not have been able to get in, you know, no matter what, because the deadline is nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. Did you know that this horse had, had what it took to become a Kentucky Derby winner? 
I can't tell you anyone that I knew he could win the race. I felt like he would have a chance. It wasn't like we were just in it to say we were in it. I, I had so many things that I knew that nobody else knew that the running lines didn't show that the numbers didn't show. And, um, he had been running on a racetrack surface that was not his favorite. His distances were not his favorite, but at the end of each race, he would never quit. He would always run by the horse that won the race because he was catching the horse. He just didn't have enough time to catch him. And he would never quit after the race until he passed the last horse. And I knew when he got to Churchill, he had won on the track and he, he trained so good on it. And I knew the extra, you know, eighth of a mile was going to play to his favor and probably not to some of the others. And it really was in my mind, if he got the trip, he had a chance. It was not like I didn't think he had a chance, but I never thought, oh yeah, he's going to win. You know, he's unbeatable. But I, I did tell Sonny, I said, if you can at the top of the stretch, find a way through the traffic to only have five or six horses in front of you, we can win the race. And lo and behold, when he got to the head of the stretch, I think he only had five or six horses in front of him. Mm. And tell me about that moment when, you know, you knew that there was a real good chance that this horse was going to cross the finish line. Oh, man. Um, I think from the quarter pole to the finish line, which was 25 seconds, 24 seconds, um, so many things went through my mind. And, and, you know, I zoned out. I didn't hear the announcer. I didn't hear the crowd. It was like I was in a dark room just watching a TV screen with Richie on it. And as he ran up on Messier in the middle of the stretch, um, I thought he had gotten himself in, in, in his trouble and he had to alter his stride. I, I'm like, well, that's it. But he went on by him. And I remember telling my dad, I said, we're going to hit the board because I believe at that time he was third place. And I was so happy. I was so happy that he was going to finish third and have respect. And, you know, everybody that made fun of us the weeks leading up to the Derby were, were going to say, wow, they were right. You know, good thing they did come and practice. But then as they got closer to the finish line, um, Ken Tyson, who's one of my best friends, you know, I could hear him in the background. And that's the first sound I heard other than, you know, darkness or just silence was him. And he was going, Oh my God. And he, then he got louder. Oh my God. Cause he saw he was getting ready to go to the lead. And then I saw he was going to take the lead. And right about the time he got to the front, one of my buddies kind of popped me in the back, jumping up and down. And, you know, I've got a bad back and it kind of, my back gave way and I went down. I never saw him cross the wire in front. Mm. And then you saw it on the, the replay. Yeah. Over and over. <laughs> and he still wins. Every time. That's what I told him <laughs> at the press conference. They said, I see you keep watching the monitor. I said, yeah, and he wins every time. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about the year. What, you know, what kind of decisions go into what races this horse does after the Kentucky Derby win? Well, you know, he uh, he is now no longer just a horse. He's no longer just a good horse or a stakes-winning horse or even a grade one winning horse, which is, you know, the elite of horse racing. He is now the Kentucky Derby winner. Mm -hmm. So everything that you do with him, the value, the, you know, everything that you do with him now has to be thought out extra long, extra good. Um, the care that he gets was always great, but now we had to hire security for him 24 hours. We had to, um, we, you know, we had to start mapping out a strategy where he would perform well 
and give him the best chance, but also to protect him from injury and all the things that happen to these horses. Because getting to the Derby is just unbelievably hard and difficult, and most horses are pretty much spent by the time they get there. So um, we were blessed that he was very sound. Mm. And we just tried to map out a simple schedule where we could give him some breaks and and some time to finish growing because he's only three. And I think we did a really good job last year of placing him. Um, the Belmont was the only bad race, and that was on me. Why do you say that? Well, I, I gave Sonny instructions in a small field on the biggest track in the country to not go to the inside and get in trouble because I knew after the Derby, everyone thought that's where he was going to be, and they were just going to block him in and not let him out. And um, I did not realize that Richie had become one dimensional. And if you didn't let him on the rail, he was going to be unhappy and try to fight. And um, that's what happened going into the first turn. Sonny did what I told him. He kind of drifted him out to the three path. And you can see the horse turn his head to the right and try to run to the inside rail when Sonny wouldn't let him. It just kind of became a tug of war between Richie being inexperienced and Sonny trying to follow instructions. And um, if I could go back in time, I would I would not tell Sonny to do that. And I think Richie would have ran up on the inside and they may have blocked him. Maybe he wouldn't win, but I think he would have finished much, much better because he got angry and then he wasn't breathing proper and pacing himself proper. And he fatigued in a race that he shouldn't have fatigued in. You know, let's talk about the safety of the horses. Going back to the Preakness is three jewels in the triple crown. There's the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont. And if the horse wins all three, there's only been 13 times that that's happened. That's that's the triple crown. And there was, you know, there was, people were angry that you, were put, you weren't putting Rich Strike in the Preakness, the, the second race. Uh, and you said to me, it's because you wanted Rich to rest and the horse's health was more important than a triple crown. Not a lot of trainers would say something like that. Yeah, I mean, Janice, I, I've I don't get horses like Richie very often. I've had some good horses in the barn and we've you know, we've come within a neck of beating one of the greatest horses in the world, Zenyatta in a grade one. So it's not like we've never had good horses, but the 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 lowest level horse I train I don't run back in two weeks. Mm. And how could I take the best horse I've ever trained and run back in two weeks? And I, I understand that this is part of history. And there's tradition involved. But in my opinion, the horses that are racing today are not the same horses that raced 30, 40 years ago. Yes. Um, there's been a lot of change in the breeding. I don't think they're near as sound as they used to be. And, and I think like any other sport that's evolved, if you can compare golf and football, just go back 50 years and look at the equipment. Look at the players. They're not the same. And, you know, we keep doing the same thing in this business. And um I think if they could just back the Preakness up to 30 days and then 30 days to Belmont, it would it would still be hard on the horses, but it would be safer for the horses. Mm-hmm. And um, that's my opinion. I don't know if it matters or what it's worth, but to me, I had to take care of the horse. He was the only one we had, and my job was to protect Rick and the horse. And um, that's, what, that's what I did, and Rick was 100% on board with that. Mm-hmm. Stay right there. We'll have more of this story coming up. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's talk about, you know, tragedy that happened this year. We had seven horses that died uh, at Churchill Downs, and we still don't know why a couple of them, you know, died. I think, let's see, we've got... Um, injuring left hind leg, uh, broke, broken neck on one of the horses after flipping, uh, collapsed, um, couple of horses that collapsed and then, you know, had to be euthanized on the track because of a front knee and ankle injury. Um, you know, it broke my heart, Eric. It, I love this sport. You know how much I love covering it. Um, it brings the country together for two minutes of excitement. But when I saw all of these horses dying, it was it just was a dark cloud over the racing industry. And I want your, you know, your thoughts on this. It was um, not the greatest week for horse racing at all. Um, the horses that collapsed and and perished after the races um a lot of stories going around about that um i'm i I just don't know what's going on there it's it's just very suspicious but Mm. i know that the track and the people at churchill i know them well especially after the derby um but i've raced there my whole career and i know that they don't leave a stone unturned as far as condition of, of the main track um I was surprised to see the injuries because to me, if there's, if the track's ever going to be tip top, it's for, you know, for Friday and Saturday Mm. Oaks and Derby day and uh, the state vets monitor those horses every morning, sometimes twice a day. Uh, For goodness sake, they scratch the favor of the race. So it's not like they're allowing horses to run that might've had a question mark by them or maybe even, a gray area because if that was the case, they wouldn't have scratched Forte. So I, I, it's very unusual and I don't have an answer. I wish they did. And I'm sure Churchill and everyone involved is trying. It could act. It could be just a horrible, horrible coincidence that it happened that week. I don't know. I guess as the meet continues on, we'll all see if there is something going on. Mm-hmm. And what do you tell people? I mean, you know, people like me who love this sport, um, who, you know, feel like, can I get behind something like this? Like, where does, you know, what do you say? Well, most of these horses are treated better than we are. Mm. Uh, you know, they are taken care of 24 hours a day. They're pampered, they're massaged, they're, their chiropractor work is done on them. Uh, acupuncture is done on them. These horses, most of the time, are, are super, super well taken care of. Like anything else, I'm sure there's some that probably could use more care. But it's a great business. These animals are the most wonderful thing in the world. And it's fantastic to be around them and watch them train and see the beauty. And that's what they're born and bred to do. And they, they – you know, they lay it on the line for us and, and we are supposed to lay it on the line for them. Um, I think it's great to be involved, but I think it's also great to ask questions like you're asking. And I think the more people that ask and, and, and pay attention, the more this will evolve 
for the horse rather than just for the sport. Because mm-hmm. if the horse is protected, the sport will be protected. What about, you know, making sure that every track is kind of the same, like the same kind of rules and regulations? It still seems like, you know, this track allows this and this one doesn't allow that. You know, there. do you feel like there has to be sort of a consensus in all the rules and regulations? I can't imagine why it's not already that way. Um, I know every state seems to want to control their own racing, but this is a sport. And uh, a good example to me when people ask me what you just asked me is it makes no sense why the rules in Kentucky are different than the rules in Pennsylvania or West Virginia or New York or anywhere else. If uh, you went to the NBA and you went and played a basketball game in Dallas with the Mavericks, the rules are the same as if you would play in Los Angeles with the Lakers. The three-point line is not different. The free throw line is no different. The scoring is the same. The rules are the same. In uh, horse racing, for whatever reason, and I think HISA is trying to do something about that, but they're not the same. And medications are allowed in one state that aren't in others. The penalties are different in states than others. Um, you know, the whole thing is is never been unified. And I think once it's done, if it ever gets done, it will really help things out a lot. Mm-hmm. I'd like to start raising awareness about that. You know, like I just feel yes. like that makes sense. Well, I mean, I don't know of a sport in the world where every stadium, the rules are different. Yes. I mean, this this is horse racing. And um, I know some of the rules are the same, you know, the disqualifications, the the bumping, the shutting off of horses, the impediment of horses, stuff like that is the same. But as far as the other rules, you know, the the entry rules, the medication rules, the penalties, they're not. And um, it needs to all be unified so that every owner and every trainer is playing on the same field and it's level for us all. Mm -hmm. So we got to talk about some exciting news. Um, The story of Rich Strike and your family and Against All Odds is being made into a movie and a documentary, and we were able to announce that last week. Tell me how this all happened. Well, you know, uh, after the Derby win, uh, a lot of press came out, and of course people, I guess, researched, you know, me, and they saw that we'd been through the barn fire, and, you know, they realized that we were definitely, you know, small potatoes in this game. Um, that just pulled off this huge upset, and it was a good story. And then Sports Illustrated came out to do a story about me and the horse, and, 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 you know, they asked about my father. And um, my father has had a a remarkable life, Um, was abandoned after his mother passed away, left in a cabin with his brothers two or three days without food and water, no electric. Um, he walked six miles to his grandmother's for help through the woods, not on a road or a trail or a gravel road, no houses. He, his mother would take him on Sundays, and that's how he knew his way through there. And After two or three days, he had to go get some help. And um, he came, came back, uh, lived in many different places with many different people for years before he, he ran away. Um, and he ended up in Versailles and had every right to, to end up in prison or dead. Um, it's just an amazing story that he had. And it was off limits for the family. I never knew my grandmother's name until October of last year after the Derby. Wow. We didn't talk to him about it. He was so protective and uh, secretive 
we knew she died. We knew he ran away. We knew he'd been abandoned because, you know, everyone knew that, but nobody knew everything. And I didn't even know my grandmother's last name, the first name, mm-hmm. you know, until, until I asked him because it was off limits. It hurt him to talk about it. But the Sports Illustrated guy sat here and he wanted to talk to dad. And he was talking about the horse and the derby and me as a kid and, and how we, you know, bonded and loved each other. And I idolized him and how he taught me. And then he asked him, you know, about his youth and the biggest shock of my life. My dad just told the story. Wow. And um, I, I couldn't believe he did. And I was almost in tears. Um, but it was like, for some reason, he felt he could tell it now. Mm. And when that story broke, I started getting calls, the Sports Illustrated story. I started getting calls from all kinds of people from Hollywood uh, wanting to do a story on the family. And, of course, you know, Rich Strike is always going to be a part of our life story. But the funny thing was we never were asked to do a story about Rich Strike. They wanted to do a story about the family. Mm. And um, I was getting bombarded, and I was trying to manage Richie. I was trying to handle the press. So uh, the president of my bank uh, called me and said that his sister worked out there and knew a lot of people, and she could probably help me with what was going on. And he called her, and we 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 sat down, had a meeting, and uh, she gave me some paperwork. I gave it to one of my attorneys, and I hired her to, to basically act as an agent for me, just to just to line things up and tell me stay away from these people. These people are legitimate, and I, I held everybody off. Told them, you know, right now I'm worried about taking care of my horse, and, and this would have to wait. And then. Uh, I got a blind email from Peyton Manning. The Peyton Manning. The Peyton Manning. Um, he he insisted to talk with me. Um, we did a Zoom meeting, and um, it was like I was talking to uh, one of my brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, his father had had a similar, you know, tough time growing up. Um, played in the same league that Peyton did. Never got to the level. But his son did, both his sons, and they both became Super Bowl champions. And Peyton, he started describing how my father and his father and he and I had so much in common. And um, he said, I've, I've waited a long time to do this, had many opportunities, but hadn't found the right story. He said, I don't want to, uh, I want to do a feel good, uplifting story when I do my first one. And he goes, and I found it with you. Oh. And uh, I was, you know, I was in awe because he's asking me and I'm staring at Peyton Manning, for goodness sakes, you know. And uh, he was so real. He was so normal. There was no big words. There was no trying to bribe me. It was two guys talking like we'd known each other forever. Mm. And uh, his his line that got me was, you have to let me do this because we have a lot in common, just you and I. And I kind of grinned and said, what's that? And he goes, you love horses. And I played for the Colts and the Broncos. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, it was a done deal. (laughs) Oh, wow. I wonder if he had that waiting, that line. Just He must have, (laughs) but I I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, at that point, we just agreed that that when I did the story, and he wanted to do a life story of the Reed family um, and my father. And my father's story dwarfs my story. Um, I just felt how honored could we be that somebody wanted to do a story on our family, my father, and it was Peyton Manning of all people. And uh, I knew he would do it with class and dignity. And I wasn't dealing with 
you know, someone I couldn't trust um, to do it properly. And so I agreed to sign with him to do it. And then we just did a shopping agreement and he had many people that he went to and he called and he said he, he, he wants to do this with Amazon. And um, we had a discussion with those guys and they, they agreed to do the development of the documentary and, and a feature. And that's what we started. And they came and did two and a half days of interviews with my father and myself, mainly my father. Mm. Um, and I've been doing a lot of, um, I've been doing a lot of, uh, research and I've found my grandmother's house that my father walked to and I got photos. I found his mother's tombstone, which she really doesn't have. It's a rock with her name on it. Mm. Um, I will get her a proper tombstone and put up, but, um, I've also found some cousins that we didn't even know about that, you know, I've learned a lot and I'm helping my dad and he's, he's willing to go back to Peck's Creek and relive, you know, his childhood because he tells me that was the only place he was happy was Peck's Creek. And, um, I think that name is going to come to play down the road, Peck's Creek. Wow. I love that. Stay right there. We'll have more of this story coming up. What's it like seeing your dad, you know, finally feeling comfortable or as comfortable as he can to talk about this, you know, something that you hadn't known about for, you know, most of your life. I'm so impressed with his courage because when they came to to shoot, you know, his story for documentary, we were all sitting behind the shades listening because he wanted me in the room. He couldn't do it without me in the room. (laughs) And he sat in front of these big cameras and all these strangers and told this story that even his family didn't know. And um, about every 10 or 15 minutes, either he would break down or the people doing the questions would break down. And many times the people doing the questions would say, we got to stop. And they would be crying and they'd have to get up and walk around and wipe their tears and everybody have a drink of water. And then they'd sit down and continue. And uh, I thought it was the bravest thing I've ever seen anyone do because he was doing it in front of strangers. And he, he told me, he said, the only reason I'm doing this is for you because I know this is going to help somebody that was like me when I was little and they'll see that the journey doesn't always end in tragedy and they can overcome whatever's bothering them. And he goes, if I help one person with this story, Eric, he said, I feel like I've done something good in my life. And he goes, when you won this race, it gave me the opportunity to tell the story. And he said, I never thought I would. He said, I was ashamed of, of my childhood. And, and um, I, I think it's, uh, I watch him today and I'm, I've always been in awe of my dad. He's always uh, he's always been my hero because he overcame odds that I've never seen. I have no clue of how I could have lived like he did. But not only was it he was a great father, he's a great family man. He turned down his opportunity of fortune and fame with horses to stay with the family. And then he got up in front of those cameras and told this story. And when people hear the story, if they don't cry, they have no emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the times I've met your dad, he's just he is such a ball of sunshine, you know, like he's so funny and charismatic. And I can see where you get your sense of humor from. Um, So it's just, you know, we need to be reminded of these stories, especially now, Eric, you know, like I feel like we're so worried about trivial things. But when we hear a story about, you know, your dad, Herbie, and his life and all the things that he had to overcome, um, you know, it, it puts life in perspective. Absolutely. And, um, 
you know, when I'm having a rough day or a bad day, I just think of his days and I'm like, you're, you're having a great day. <laughs> this country has been through a lot, you know, COVID and wars and the, the, the division and everybody out there needs to just stop and, and show some love. And I mean, my gosh, here's, here's a guy that had no family. Uh, he had never told anybody they loved him. My mother told him that and, and he didn't know what it meant. He he said they were words to me. He said, I didn't know what I love you meant. He said, I heard her say it. He said, I knew I felt great with her and, and it was very happy. But he goes, I really didn't know. And he goes, when you were born and I held you in my arms, he goes, then I knew what love was because I had a son. And he goes, I was determined you were not going to live the life I did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's a great person. And there's so many stories like that out there. Your book tells these remarkable stories of people and that's what we need more of. We don't need more of this doom and gloom movies and stories. We need uplifting and, and get people back to caring about each other. Mm, I agree. And that's why I love the horse races. You know, it's it's not political. You know, you don't know who somebody voted for. You're standing there with your fancy hat and you've got your mint julep and you're rooting for the horse that you maybe put a bet down on. And, you know, people are happy. And that's what brings me joy. Um and you know, I have to, we have to talk about surf happy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so because Eric and I, you know, have a great relationship and my husband has gotten to know Eric and you've stayed with us and I love your family, I've stayed with you. And um, you know, we've always talked about what it would be like to, you know, be a part owner of a horse. And I didn't think it was attainable. Like you know, I thought it was a rich man's sport, right? And people can do it. You know, I asked you point blank, how does somebody do something like this uh, to to bid on a horse at an auction and get the right trainer? Um, and you really stepped me through that to the point of I came to Keeneland last summer and, you know, we went together and I got to bid on a horse and she's a beauty, and you're training Surf Happy. And I, I mean, it's just something I never thought we would be able to do. Um, and, and you can. You get a bunch of people together, and you tell me what you tell others that think that they can't do something like this. Well, it, you can do it for sure. And you can, you can create a partnership where the cost is minimal because it's divided up, you know, between three, four, up to 10 people, whatever. And um, it's so much fun to share the experience with friends rather than have all the burden on yourself. Um, Cause it's such a, a blast to go to the races and watch your horse and um, watch the horse grow and develop as it's training and go purchase the horse. Like you did at the sale, which I will say you were professional. <laughs> you used your finger perfect. The guy behind you didn't even know you were bidding and he was a little after you outbid him. But we were bit, betting on the same horse, yeah. <laughs> yes, and, and I loved it because you were staring and you were just wiggling that little finger and that guy had no idea you were the one bidding. And when he, when, he, when they brought you the slip, I saw him kind of shake his head and walk off like, darn, you know. <laughs> so, but it, it's a great, it's fun. And that's what we, we, we need in the business. We need new people that think they can't do it to get it because they can. And um, Mike Iaconelli and Becky, um, they're in it. They always wanted to do it. And they were the same opinion that they couldn't afford it. And Dr. Lyon and Tracy and Shelby and Dan, my, my you know, daughter and son-in-law, it's, it's pretty much everybody's first go at it. It's, it's 
hopefully going to be fun. We're going to win some races and um, maybe keep 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 going for years doing this. But it, the, the, when you get to the races, you're going to see how much more fun it is. It's like going to the horse sale, but it's on steroids, the excitement, <laughs> knowing that's your horse. And, of course, you guys need to get a set of silks because we're getting close to a race. Oh, my goodness, Eric. Well, and the other yep. thing is you got to find somebody you trust. And I trust you with my life. Um, you know, I, that's the one thing I would recommend that if you're going to do this, you got to do your homework and you got to find a trainer that cares about the horse that cares about, you know, not just the race, but taking care of the horse afterwards. Yeah. They, there's got to be a, a trust and a bond and the relationship can't be about money. It has to be about the horse because truthfully, if it's not about the horse, there'll be no money made mm. and um, nobody will enjoy the, the journey. And when you, you do it about the horse first, everybody benefits. And um, even if it doesn't turn out well, you enjoy the whole time with the horse and you, you don't have, you know, you don't have the ego of, or the greed is the word of letting money make decisions because it never works that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was never about the money. Um, it's just about, you know, I don't know, having some excitement and joy and owning, you know, a beautiful animal. Um, I mean, you know, the pictures you send me bring such smiles to my face, my husband's face. Um, you know, I, and and it's we're part of a family. You know, that's another thing It's just I feel like, um, you know, I've got a home there in Kentucky. You do for sure. And, and Sean, you know, I'm glad we got to name her surf happy because it gives him a little bit to do with it. A lot of people probably don't know that, but he likes he, to uh, surf. Yes. And it couldn't be a better name. And he's so excited when I talked to him and he was, he sent me a video the other day. From the, he was at the backside of Belmont watching some horses and I see he's, he's, he's really picking up. So this is going to be a, a, a great journey, hopefully. And, um, Gosh, I can't wait if we can get lucky enough to get a win and the photo everybody has on their wall of their first horse, how, how great this is going to be if this can all just work out right. Well, you're such a pleasure, obviously, to talk to because, you know, you're my family and good luck. I'm, I'm so grateful that, you know, I was able to meet you and be part of your journey. And do we have like a date where they're thinking that the, the movie will be completed or is it just sort of a... You know, it's, it's in, in the very beginning stages. The documentary will come pretty quick because there's been a year's worth of stuff that they can use and, you know, all the other history. And um, so this is all going to start, you know, probably over the summer. And, and there's no time frame for any of this. They tell me it takes years to complete mm. the movies and stuff. But um, it's it's such an honor to know that somebody's going to do a story on our family because I would have never dreamed that. I knew my father's story was was always capable of this, but he would never tell it. And um, there was so much more to it than even I knew or my mother knew. Or, um, I think anybody that, that goes and watches this and the way Peyton and his team will handle things uh, along with Amazon, I think everybody will walk out of there feeling pretty good. I do too, my friend, because I have a smile on my face every time I hear from you, every time I talk to you. Um, you're just a special human and I'm so grateful that God brought us together. Yeah. That hug you gave me after that interview gave me the courage to do all the other interviews <laughs> that were waiting for me. So I, I see that on video, uh, after we're done and you give me the hug, it's part of the things that are out on YouTube and 
I, I'll never forget that because I was hugging Janice Dean, and I thought at the time, you know, my gosh, that's Janice Dean. Oh. And so, <laughs> look how anyway, far we've come. I know I'm truly blessed, and I love you to death. And um, God knows, I hope everything just goes super for all of us. Yeah, it will. It will. Um, I love you, buddy, and um, I know I'll be talking to you soon. So, um, but I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And, uh, you know, to be continued. Thank you, Eric, for joining me today. And congratulations once again on the movie and the documentary about your family's life. We will keep you up to date on all of that and have Eric back when it's released. And I will also keep you posted about how our little Philly Surf Happy is doing in the weeks and months to come. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.